worrying is such an instinctive part of human nature, such a natural response to trouble. Do you sometimes wonder why Christ so clearly condemned it? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah turns to Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus discusses the problem of worry. If it's something you struggle with, stay tuned as David introduces his important message, Slaying the Giant of Worry. And thank you for joining us today. Today we're going to tackle a problem that is um, pandemic in its uh, experience. Everywhere you go, people are just overwhelmed with worry. Worry about the future. Worry about today. Worry about what happened before. Just worry. In fact, uh, I've read some recent statistics about the growth in anxiety medicine. Uh, It's the number one pill you can get, and it's all about dealing with worry. So does the Bible say something about this? Is there anything in the Bible that will help me deal with my worry problem? Not only is there something in the Bible, uh, it's the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in Matthew chapter 6, and a rather extended passage, verses 25 through 34. This passage and a passage in Philippians deal with this subject. And if you are a worrier, you don't want to miss today and tomorrow as we talk about slaying the giant of worry. This material on worry, along with all of the other lessons that we're teaching during the month of February in this course on slaying the giants in your life, all of this is available in a book, kind of call it a textbook for this month. This 200-page book gives you all the information, all the footnotes, all the resources. It's printed out in a beautiful style, so you'll have a record of the things we're talking about. And I suggest... Take a moment and consider hosting a Bible study on the giants that people are fighting with. I can't think of anything to be more helpful to people than to get an opportunity to sit down and talk about these things which are intersecting with their lives and know that God has some answers that can help them. When you do the Bible study, you get the copy of the book, which you can get for a gift of any size. Then you can go to our website and order study guides for all the members of your group. You get the CD package so you can listen to the lesson before you go into it, and you just facilitate the discussion. It will be amazing to see what happens when you're taking human problems but not leaving the discussion to the problem but going straight to the answer to the problem, which is the Word of God. You can do that with these materials from Turning Point because they're, they're centered in the Scripture. Be sure to ask for your copy again of Slaying the Giants in Your Life when you send a gift to Turning Point today. Here's part one of Slaying the Giant of Worry. Mickey Rivers, an outfielder many years ago for the Texas Rangers, stated his philosophy about worry like this. He said, ain't no sense worrying about things you got control over, because if you got control over them, ain't no sense worrying. And ain't no sense worrying about things you have got no control over, because if you got no control over them, ain't no sense worrying. And he just sort of put everything into that category and lived a very peaceful life. The Bible tells us that worry is a part of our experience. And when you look up the word worry in Webster's Dictionary, you discover that it is a troubled or uneasy or distressed feeling, a feeling of being anxious or apprehensive. When we worry, we are apprehensive over what might happen. 
Corey Ten Boom had a little poem that she used to recite on occasion about worry. She said, Worry is an old man with bended head carrying a load of feathers which he thinks are lead. <laughs> and she captured the concept of worry very, very beautifully in those little lines because worry is about something that isn't. It's about something that we fear will be. Now, the New Testament word for worry is translated by the phrase to take thought or to be careful. And the word comes from a Greek word which means to have a divided mind. So to be a worrier is to have your mind divided between legitimate thoughts and thoughts which are not legitimate, thoughts which you shouldn't be thinking. In essence, worry itself is concern over the future. A person who worries dwells on the future, and the problem with that is twofold. Number one, the future is not here, and the future is not his. He can't do anything about it, and there's not one thing that worrying does to improve the situation. The worrier cannot control the future. He does not know what it's going to look like. Only God sees the shape of it. And according to the Bible, worry is concern over the unknown and uncontrollable future. Now, Jesus says in his words to us that it is wrong to worry. In fact, in the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew, which is our text for today, in verses 25 through 34, three times Jesus uses this expression, don't worry. Jesus is saying that. Don't worry. What better way could we prepare to face the giant of worry than to find out what Jesus is talking about when he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that we are not to worry? Before we look at his instructions, there are two things I want to tell you that we are not talking about today. When Jesus says, don't worry, he's not talking about two things. First of all, he's not saying, don't plan. Sometimes I hear people talk about this passage and it sounds like they believe that since Jesus says, take no thought for the morrow, which is the King James translation, that what that means is that we should not even plan for tomorrow. But Jesus planned. Jesus planned for his ministry after his death, resurrection, and ascension. And in the New Testament, we are told that we are not to enter into a project without counting the cost and planning out into the future. So when we talk about not worrying here and when Jesus says don't worry, he's not saying don't plan. Secondly, he's not saying don't ever be concerned about something. For instance, I hear people say when it says here, be anxious for nothing, Philippians chapter 4. That means, well, just walk through life in a carefree, cavalier spirit. Don't ever worry about anything. Just be loose and free. That's not what this means. The bottom line is that we are to be concerned about things. You see your child out in the front yard playing next to where the traffic is, you will be concerned and your concern will motivate you into action so that you can preserve that child from being hurt. There is a legitimate concern. We're not talking about that. There is a difference between worry and concern. Let me tell you in a very simple way what that difference is. Worry usually has to do with the future over which we have no control and concern usually has to do with the present and there are usually some things that we can do in the present to take care of the problem. So we're not talking about not planning. We're not talking about not having any concern. We are talking about letting the spirit of worry take over in your life. 
Now, as we examine the words of our Lord in Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25, we're going to learn, first of all, our Lord's logical reasons for facing the giant of worry. Here in this passage of Scripture, he is going to give us some very important instructions. Instructions that will help us to understand how worry affects us and what we're to do about it. The passage is really divided into two sections, verses 25 through 32 and verses 33 and 34. Now in the first section, facing the giant of worry, the Lord Jesus reminds us of several things that are true about worry. In the 25th verse, he says, Therefore I say to you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Here, the Lord Jesus is telling us that worry is inconsistent. It doesn't make any sense. For the whole concept of the 25th verse is that since Jesus has provided us with our life, with our body... Does it not make sense that he would also care for the things that we need for that body? In essence, it is an argument from the greater to the lesser. If he provides the great need that we have, which is life, in this organism that we know as our body, will he not also give us the lesser thing, the lesser need, which is food to put in our body, clothes to put on our body, and shelter to put over our body? So Jesus is saying it is inconsistent for you to worry when you understand that already you have an evidence of God's goodness to you in the very life that you live. Don't be inconsistent and take the life for granted, but then worry about the incidental things that adorn the life. Not only is worry inconsistent, but according to the word of God in the next verse, worry is irrational. It says... Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, if you bought into the logic of the first statement Jesus made in the first verse, and you believe that since you have a life, he's going to provide for you the needs of that life or that he's able to, the question that might come to your mind is, I know God is able to do this, but will he? And here in this second argument that Jesus presents, when he teaches us that worry is irrational, we have exactly the opposite way of arguing. In this verse, Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater. In the first verse, he goes from life to clothes. In this verse, he goes from the birds of the air to the human being. And he's saying, if God Almighty will provide for the birds... Don't you think he will provide for you? Doesn't that make sense? In the book of Matthew and the 10th chapter, we are told that you can buy two sparrows for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Are you not of more value than many sparrows? When you turn to the 12th chapter of the book of Luke in the 6th verse, you discover that five sparrows are sold for two copper coins. Now watch carefully. You can buy two sparrows for one copper coin, but if you buy four of them, they throw a fifth one in for free. That's exactly what it says in Luke chapter 6. 
Now, a copper coin is one sixteenth of a denarius, and a denarius was one day's wages in Jesus' time. So what Jesus is saying is this. Watch this now. For one copper coin, you get two sparrows. For two copper coins, you get five. Not one of them falls to the ground that the Father doesn't know about it, not even the one that's thrown in for free. He sees it all. And if that's true, if he sees the sparrow when it falls... Also in that passage, it talks about numbering the hairs on your head. If he's conscious of the incidental things, the lesser things, does it not make sense that he will care also for the greater things? So Jesus argues here from the lesser to the greater. And of course, the answer is, of course, if he cares that intimately for the birds of the air, Surely he is going to care for those who have much greater value to him. That's you and me. So don't worry. Thirdly, Jesus says not only is worry inconsistent and is it irrational, but it's ineffective. In the 27th verse, he asks a very interesting question. He says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Now, we've got a lot of biblical measures in this passage. We've got copper coins and cubits, and what do they mean? I've told you that a copper coin is one-sixteenth of a denarius. Well, what is a cubit? A cubit is 18 inches. It's a foot and a half. Uh, There are two ideas as to what Jesus is really talking about here. Perhaps he is saying, which of you by worrying, which of you by sitting in your chair and worrying, can add 18 inches to your stature? I mean, if you could do that, a person who's five foot six would become a seven footer just like that if he could add a cubit. But the bottom line is you can't do it. You could sit there and worry all of the days of your life and you're not going to add one iota to your stature. If you could do that, I probably would be seven foot tall. Because I remember when I was growing up and playing basketball and watching all of the great giants play and looking at the fact that I was only six foot one, I wanted to be six five at least, but nothing I did changed that. I couldn't worry myself into one inch higher off the ground than I was, nor can you. But perhaps Jesus means even more than that in this passage. Perhaps what he's really saying is this, which of you by worrying can add any length to your life? That's one of the possible interpretations of the passage. Which of you by worrying can add one day to your life? Which of you can add one minute to your longevity? And of course the answer is nobody. Now if Jesus had asked which of you can subtract a year from your life by worrying, there would be a good answer, wouldn't there? I have a sneaking suspicion that there are cemeteries filled with graves all over this land Graves of believers who cheated God out of 10 or 15 years of good life because they just worried themselves into an early grave. How many of you know that when you worry to that extent, it makes you sick? And I believe I've known people that have worried themselves out of this world early, had an early departure because they couldn't just leave things in the hands of God. So worry is ineffective. One of the reasons why you don't want to worry, according to Jesus, is it doesn't do any good. It doesn't make any difference. How many of you know that when you worry about the things that are going to happen tomorrow, you ruin today and you ruin tomorrow too? (laughs) A worry doesn't rob tomorrow of its sorrow. It robs today of its strength so that you lose both today and tomorrow when you worry and you don't accomplish anything at all by it. That's the reasoning of Jesus. The answer 
is to understand and to think through and to recognize that worry doesn't really accomplish anything at all. It is inconsistent. It is irrational. It is ineffective. And then in verses 28 to 30, we learn that it is illogical. Read verses 28 and 30 with me as I read them. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now listen. Jesus is saying that it is not logical for you to look out at the world of beauty and see the lilies of the field which are so beautiful. Jesus said far more beautiful than Solomon was in his royal robes. The richest man who ever lived with all of the wealth at his disposal could not dress himself up any more beautifully than the lilies of the field that Jesus dressed. And he said they didn't spin and they didn't toil, but look at their beauty. Have you ever seen the beautiful floral displays in some of the major parks across this country and you understand the beauty that God puts in to his creation? Now, the argument that Jesus is using is this. Just look around at nature. Look around at what you can see with your own eyes and recognize that if God cares that much for the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is gone, You are eternal. He gave his son for you. He paid the price for your eternal redemption. Does it make any sense that God would take such incredible care of the lilies of the field and then let you go without any concern? And the obvious answer is no. It is not logical to think that way. The God of heaven who beautifies this world with his creative touch also cares about his children. And it's not logical to think any other way. Now, the final reason Jesus gives when we face the giant of worry for not worrying is a little bit stiff, but just remember, I'm reading this from the Word of God. Because the last thing Jesus wants us to know about worry is not only is it inconsistent and irrational and ineffective and illogical, but it's irreligious. Notice what he says in verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Now what is Jesus saying? He's saying that when we worry, we forget who we are. He said when you worry, you act like the Gentiles. The word Gentile in the text is a word which is often translated by the word pagan or heathen. When you worry, you act as if you are a heathen. Worrying is not Christian. Worrying is not religious. Worrying is acting like you don't have a father in heaven and a family on this earth. Worrying is acting like God is not able to care for you. The people who are the pagans often worship idols that see not and hear not and handle not. Who can't hear any of the requests of the ones who worship them and if they could hear couldn't do anything about them. When we worry, we act as if God is like that. And Jesus said, don't worry, because when you worry, you're not acting in a Christian way. Does that mean that Christians don't have momentary worries? Oh my, let me tell you, I don't think so. 
I've raised four teenagers. I know what it's like to worry. But I visit worry and I don't stay there. Some people I know don't visit worry. They move in. (laughs) They let worry be their lifestyle. They just worry themselves sick and then they worry when they don't have anything to worry about. (laughs) Jesus is saying when you worry like that, you're acting as if you don't believe. Notice how tender he is in these words. He says, for your heavenly father knows that you have need of these things. And he's saying when you worry, when you let worry be your lifestyle, you're acting like you don't believe that your heavenly father knows that you need the things that you need. So Jesus says the way you face worry is you sit down for a moment and you think through what worrying really is. Worrying is dwelling on the future that you don't have any control over and spending all of your energies on thinking about what might happen tomorrow until you have no energy to deal with the issues of today. Now in the last two verses, the Lord Jesus reminds us of how we're to deal with the giant of worry. He tells us in these last two verses that there are two things that we need if we're going to get over worry, if we're going to face it and fight against it. How do you deal with worry if it's an issue in your life? Let me give you two thoughts. First of all, to win over worry, you need a system of priorities in your life. Notice what Jesus says in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Much of the worry that destroys people is the worry of a divided heart. That's what the word means. A divided heart which cannot decide for what it is going to live. A divided heart that gets caught up in all of the things and the trinkets and the material issues of the day. It's interesting that the passage on worry is right in the center of a passage in the New Testament that has to do with personal possessions. And Jesus is saying what you need to do first of all to fight against worry is to get your system of priorities in order. Set down what you really believe, what you're really committed to. And he says, here's how you go about it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put that at the very heart of who you are. Let that be the lens that you look through into every area of your life. And then just understand that when you do that, all of these other things are going to be added unto you. How many of you know that works? How many of you can say an amen to that? Isn't that true? When you put God at the center of your life, when you make him the focus of your pursuits, then you can enter into life with an exuberance and you don't have to worry about the what-ifs on either side because you know that since you've settled the big issue, God's going to take care of the other issues that come along. But it's a sad thing to see so many of God's people put God off to the side in their life. And I rather suspect that sometimes their worry is more a worry that's born out of the realization that they have violated this priority that they recognize they should be living in a different way and that worries them and they continue to worry and it just becomes a cycle that they cannot break isn't that interesting we worry about our worrying (laughs) we keep coming up with different ways to uh, get off the main road and off on the ditch on each side from where God wants us to go We'll have more about the giant of worry tomorrow with part two of that lesson. And uh, still ahead is uh, a discussion of guilt 
and temptation and anger and resentment and doubt and procrastination. And we're going to deal with all these issues, and you can actually get a printed copy of our comments because uh, we're teaching from a book called Slaying the Giants in Your Life, and this book is our resource for the month, which means when you send a gift of any size to Turning Point, we'll send this book to you as our way of saying thank you. Be sure to ask for your copy again of Slaying the Giants in Your Life when you send a gift to Turning Point today. We are um, really excited about the opportunities God gives us here at Turning Point. And um, recently we did an event in um, Washington, D.C. when we were premiering the movie, Why the Nativity? And in attendance at that event was a guy that I greatly respect, James Brown from CBS. I want to tell you that James Brown and Tony Dungy are going to be with us when we go to Alaska in July. Uh, My son Daniel will interview them on one of the nights of the cruise, and we'll get to know a little bit about their life in Christ. I hope you'll sign up to go with us. We'll see you right here tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Slaying the Giants in Your Life, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Slaying the Giants in Your Life, and learn to banish the giants from the promised land of your life. This popular book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue slaying the giants in your life on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. Years ago, a school in Iowa conducted a study to determine what actually caused crops to grow in the field. In their final report, the researchers estimated that only 5% of the growth was attributable to the efforts of man. 
Now, there may be room to quibble with the numbers in such a study, but it points out a truth revealed throughout nature. It is God who causes growth, and that is true spiritually as well. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, when we remove the obstructions to growth and add the right nutrients, God causes us to grow and mature. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how God causes spiritual growth on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.